Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to the kitchen table. We have been in a series talking about where practical meets Jesus, and today we're going to be talking about the moments in our lives when our children disappoint us, whether it's by the actions, by their life choices, where we feel disappointed. We feel like maybe even saddened, grieved in your spirit. What do we do? Where does the gospel intersect those moments and how do we walk forward in them? We've been covering this look into our motherhood from the perspective of five main points. And I want to go over them very quickly. I feel like over the last few weeks in this series, we've done it more in depth. And so today we're going to do it pretty quickly. So again, you, I encourage you to go back to the beginning and look at and listen to these um, after you listen to today's. But the five truths are these. We understand that there is a soul in need of a Savior. You and I have been chosen by God. We're beginning to embrace the, uh, the truth that God actually chose you, believing you were the best mother, the best father for your child when you are walking surrendered to Him. That's why you are the one who is given the gift of shepherding this child. So now though, we are looking at them and we need to have the viewpoint that they are a soul in need of a savior. They are not a product that we create. They are not something that is one and done when they turn 18. They are a soul in need of a savior. And we have been given the opportunity to walk with them to the end of our days. Now, obviously that changes in different seasons. For the most part, I would imagine that this topic today is going to hit the hardest in our middle school and teenage children's lives. You know, uh, sometimes my little people have disappointed me in the moment. Like I know that I have definitely had teachers come home and tell me things that my little one has done. And I'm like, oh man. And I almost felt embarrassed too. And Um, certainly felt disappointed, but in my parenting of our kids, I really needed to understand that my child was a soul in need of a savior when they were in their 12, 13, 14, those teen, and then the older adult years, because now they were making bigger decisions that I wanted them to make with a certain perspective and they weren't. And I was feeling disappointed in them. I was feeling truthfully disappointed in me that the outcome wasn't going the way I thought it was. I mean, I had done all the quote, right things, done all the steps of Christian parenting I'd been told to do, and my kids weren't turning out. Those were like concepts that would roll around, would roll around in my brain. But I needed to go back to the drawing board and remember this child is a soul 
in need of a savior. That's point number one. Point number two, we turn to the Lord. We turn to God and we say, God, what is your perspective on this child? And I need your wisdom to understand this child the way you do. This is this concept that we keep talking about here of being a student of your child. So we are looking at them in light of the Holy Spirit walking with us, examining this child, maybe even in helping us have sympathy, compassion, or empathy, because all of a sudden we see something that they struggle with that we missed. Um, We're beginning to understand more who they are, how God has fashioned them in their temperament, their personality, all those things mixed together. And then the, you know, that is the beauty of that child and every child that we have in our home. They're all different from each other. And I imagine if y'all all were sitting here, you'd be like, oh, that is definitely true. My firstborn is like this. My the other child is like this. Yes, I totally can relate. And then number three, we choose consistency in our messaging and our pivoting to the gospel. We are going to hold. We're going to understand as we've studied our child and we understand their need for a savior. We're going to hold to certain truths. No, no matter And we just choose consistency. It doesn't mean we choose to be dogmatic, but we choose consistency. And one of the primary parts of that is also just simply in gentleness and humility. That is one of our overarching tenets about our heart posture towards our children. And then number four, we pray. This is really where we're going to camp out today. Because the truth is, as our children get older, there's less and less that we can do to change, demand that they do things the way we want them to do. It's very easy when our child is two to demand that they fall in line. But even when they're 12, that ability that we have is less and less. And so prayer needs to be something, and we're going to speak on this a lot today, needs to be your first line of defense, the first thing you run to. And then finally, the fifth point, the fifth um, truth that we stand on is that we are called to speak words of life into our child, that we are called to speak words of blessing and the truth of of what God says about them and about walking with Jesus. Because, and this to me is an important um thing for you to write across the top of a paper if you are somebody who is struggling with a child right now who feel and you feel completely disappointed whether it's in them or your own parenting of them and we're going to talk about that today as well what you and I need to embrace as a child of God ourselves as a daughter of the king is that we are not called nor are we ever responsible for our child's salvation, or for their righteous living. We're not called to create these robotic children. We are called to create an environment where the Holy Spirit can work and move. However, we have children who are their own sinful people, and they may choose to accept, and they may choose to reject God. But the thing that I have written in Bibles and I have written across notebooks and now is just inside of me is I want to engage with my children in such a way that when the world with all of its offerings comes to an end, they will know where true peace and true joy are found. 
You see, we are all creatures in desperate desire and a desperate hunt to find peace and to find joy and to find contentment. And those things are wrapped up, promised and given only by Jesus. But the world offers false promises of that. And for a season, the world's offerings can feel peaceful, can feel joyful, can feel like I'm content here. But they will come to an end. And so as a parent of a child moving between middle school and high school and college, your perspective, I want to encourage you, needs to be, I will continue to point to the only one who offers true peace and true joy and true true contentment so that when the world fails to give what it is offering or promising, my child knows where they can find it. They know where they can turn back to. You cannot be perfect and create a perfect Jesus follower. You can't. It's not on you. God's not expecting that of you. He's inviting you into a relationship with him, but he is the one actively engaged with your child. It is the Spirit of God who is drawing them, pursuing them, faithfully speaking to them, orchestrating events around them. It is God's work, and we partner with him, and we're going to talk about how today. But if you've been struggling with that, if you think, well, I've really messed this up. Somehow I missed the mark. Somehow this isn't turning out the way I thought it was, and it's my fault. I want you to just stop for a minute and sit with the Lord. If there are sin issues that you have done, you have acted in anger and rejecting and betrayal, and you have been um, hurtful and cutting to your child in those attitudes that do not display Jesus and his love, then you need to go repent for those with humility to your child. Specifically, specifically, like, I know I hurt you here, and this is how I hurt you, and I am so sorry. And then you need to ask them the question, are there any other places where you are wounded by me? And with humility, you address those because you want to heal that relationship first. But once that is what you are called to, you are called on this earth to be a representation of the father's love to our children. That's what we're called to because we're partnering with God. We're seeking to be united. We're listening to the spirit and what he, how he leads us to parent. I want to be very truthful. I've had to go to my children so many times. I mess up so much. There is so much grace and mercy from God on high to us. And also our children will extend it. But we need to be able to go to them and go, I think I really hurt your feelings when I just completely bit your head off over that thing that you did. Right, they've done something horrible, but we just completely wax them. Then we need to own our part. Honestly, what I found is when I own my junk, I mean, I've acted nasty to my child who has done something 
truly wrong, but I had nasty to them in the discipline part of it. So I'm not at all, not at all doing a, a discipline conversation the way God would call me to. When I go to that child and go, I have totally handled that poorly, just wrong. I was embarrassed. I became rude. I wanted to cut and hurt you because I was feeling and I've misplaced my own value and worth because somehow I've decided that your behavior is a reflection of me and it's not, but I have hurt you. I am sorry. How have I hurt you? What is your heart feeling? How can I make that right? When I have that conversation, first of all, grace and mercy, I mean, they're, they're eager to make relationship right, number one. And number two, then there's all of a sudden this beautiful space to have a conversation about what they did and what was going on in their heart. And that goes back to all these conversations that we've had over the last three or four episodes about establishing a ability to have conversations with your child that say, I see the symptom. I see the action that you did on the surface. What was your heart lying underneath that? And so for this episode today, we're really not going to spend a lot of time in the fact that our kids have disappointed us in the activities they've chosen to do that are disappointing. I believe in other episodes, we have talked well about how to have gospel conversations that dive deep into the heart that lies underneath. So I'm not going to really spend a lot of time there today. Today, we're going to spend time talking about that fourth truth that we are called to pray for our kids. You may be a parent today and your kids are like one, three, and five. And you're like, I mean, I don't know that they're super disappointing to me. I don't know how this fits for me. And I want to encourage you to see the absolute must of praying for your kids from the very beginning. It is your weapon. It is your way to do battle and to um, engage in this spiritual battle that is going on around your children. We have talked on this podcast a lot about the fact that every one of us is on a spiritual battlefield, our children included. There's not an age where all of a sudden the enemy says, okay, now I'm going to start messing with this person and trying to convince them they're no good. That starts from the moment they come here. His messaging to you and to me is, number one, an enticement of our flesh. Don't you want to do this? And our flesh responds, yes, I do, whatever it is. So if it's a two-year-old, man, they want to disobey. (laughs) They want to do what they want to do. And then that continues. But then the enemy also then speaks words of despair, discouragement, and you are not worthy into each one of us. And he orchestrates that in different ways. We all can probably testify to how we hear that. I'm not a good mom. I'm not a good wife. I can't do this right. This this is always something I mess up. I, ca- I can't juggle my career and my motherhood very well at all. Like we believe these concepts because they constantly are flooding our mind. And the same thing is true with our children. And again, we talked about that in another episode inside of When Practical Meets Jesus, the academic one. So today, though, what we want to really focus in on is so if this is happening and there is a battle at hand, 
and my child may be losing the battle. In other words, they are following the world. They are believing that this is the way I can be happy. This is the way I can be content. I can get along. Whatever it is that they've chosen. What do you and I do? We pray. We pray. How do we pray? Well, there have been lots of ways I've prayed over the years. So, but I want to talk to you about three, I'm going to use three, a word picture. So I have used what I call flare gun prayers. And none of these are wrong, by the way. But we're going to talk about the one that as an intercessor for your child, we're going to use. So I've used flare gun prayers. And what I mean by that is that is the prayer in the middle of a crisis. Your child is sick in the middle of the night. Poosh, you throw up a prayer. God, please help this child to stop throwing up tonight. God, help me to get through tonight. Help me to be, you know, that's what I would call a flare gun prayer. It is like, help me. I need help. My child needs help. Things are falling apart. It is quick. It is um, almost shouted out. And um, it's a flare gun. And then we have what I call a shotgun prayer. And I'm sorry, these are all about guns, but um, a shotgun prayer, a shotgun like scatters, like um, it doesn't come out as one single bullet. It's like a scattering effect. And so a shotgun prayer is what I usually say are my prayers for my kids. Lord, please help them all have a good day today at school. It's like, like covers them all. And it's not specific to one. It's this. and, And again, these are not wrong prayers. These are prayers we can pray and should pray and do pray. They're good prayers, but it's a shotgun prayer. Please help my kids to be kind. Please help, you know, these more generalized prayers. But Jesus invites us in scripture to intercede on behalf of one another and to do it very specifically with pinpoint accuracy. Like it just drives straight into exactly what is needed. That's the kind of prayer that we're talking about today. Why should we pray that way? Are we allowed to pray that way? Does Jesus, what does Jesus say about praying that way? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to establish that God, Jesus actually and emphatically did say, come to me and pray very specifically. So if we look in Luke, Jesus actually gives two different examples for how to pray, but we're going to take a look at just this one story that he said in Luke 11. It's a story of a friend who comes to his next door neighbor at midnight, knocks on the door and is banging on the door saying, I need you to lend me three loaves of bread. Somebody has come to my, one of my friends has gotten here after a journey and I don't have anything to give him. Now, back in those days, that would have been offensive on so many levels because every house was, in essence, one room. So this man banging on the door and shouting through the door, let me in, you got to give me some bread, is waking up an entire household. He's bothering everybody with his request. And he's banging, banging, banging. And he had a friend coming on a journey, like, and he wasn't prepared. And in that culture, preparation was part of life. Like, you should always be be prepared to welcome somebody into your home. You should always have extra bread. on hand and he doesn't. So he's not prepared. It's late at night. It's totally a bad time. And he's totally, uh, 
waking everybody up and bothering everybody. And Jesus says in this uh, story, he says, he says, the man inside will answer, well, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, but because of his impudence, meaning and because of the boldness of his ask, this neighbor will get up and give him the bread. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's, then we, the very next verse is the verse that we all quote a lot, where it says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then down further, it says, if, if this man is going to give this to his neighbor, Jesus says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you know, the heart of God is to welcome your bold requests and he will give you the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide you and to work. He will. Because he honors those bold requests. So for many of us, we, we struggle with, I mean, can I boldly approach the throne with confidence? Like it talks about in Hebrews. Can I come before him or should I fix some parts of this parenting journey first? And my encouragement to you is to understand that God is inviting, calling, and telling you to intercede on behalf of your children. Psalm 116 verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The heart of God is to incline his ear to you. In fact, that word incline in the Hebrew is the word, I don't know how to pronounce it right, so I'm going to give it my best shot, nata. What that word means is to bend down or to tent over. You see, your God is telling us in this passage that he is kind of folding over you Like when you have a child who runs in from maybe outside and they've totally scraped their knee and they're wailing at you, what is your natural reaction? But what? You kind of go around that child and bend down over that child to inspect and look at what's going on on their knee. You're not just giving your attention to the knee. You're actually tenting over them, giving them this surrounding comfort of your presence. That is the heart of God towards us as we pray. He tents over us. You can see it also in Psalm 40, verse 1. Same word used, same concept. I'm listening to you. I'm tenting over you. So who do we need to look like or what do we need to look like when we pray? For our children. I think for me, the best example of and what I have said, Lord, let me be like him, is a man um, who walked with Paul and his name was Epaphras. And you see him twice in the book of Colossians. You see him in Colossians 1, it says, um, talking about the gospel coming to the church of Colossae, it says, just as you learned it, meaning the gospel. From Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras is a teacher of the gospel. He is sharing and trying to equip people and let people know that walking with Jesus is worth it. 
Isn't that what we do in motherhood? I want to be a faithful minister like Epaphras. I want to speak to them what it says, those verses before that says, I'm going to tell you about the love, the hope that you have, that you can bear fruit, that the, you know, this can happen because there's grace of God covering you. Like that's kind of like what I want to talk about with my kids all every day, all day. Right. So I want to be like Epaphras. What I find interesting is he was very successful in his church. Um, Paul is like, listen, we hear that y'all are, y'all are growing great and y'all are growing deep and your faith is blossoming and blooming because of the work of Epaphras. But it's interesting to me that at the end of Colossians, he closes with this about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You see, Epaphras was committed to praying for the church that he had been called to to lead to shepherd. And it says he is always struggling on their behalf. And what is he struggling for? He is struggling that they may stand mature and fully assured in the way of God. These are very clear, defined things that he is praying for on their behalf. You know, I think God has taught me over the years that my responsibility is to be more like Epaphras. A faithfulness to the gospel, that's what we keep talking about, and then intense prayer. You see, our prayers are vital. Sometimes we can, we lessen their power, and especially when we feel like our child is disappointing us in a, t- in a season. I am very guilty of instead of praying intensely, I kind of heighten and create manipulation or increase my own power of persuasion. I'm going to try and persuade this child to change their mind. I might guilt them into it. I might try and manipulate them into it. I might try and say, well, that's just not how we behave. But if I engage in prayer for my child, that is the most powerful entity I have in order to make movement in the spiritual realm. Engaging in prayer. It cannot be an afterthought. It really shouldn't be a quick plea on the way out the door. It's this kind of prayer for our children is not a flare gun, a one, which is a one and done. Help me. And it's not just this generalized covering. It is pinpoint specific, accurate prayers because I understand exactly what's going on in this child's life. I can see where lies have crept into their heart, where they are believing things that aren't true. And I am asking the spirit of God to do work in those areas in that child's life. When we plead before the throne for our child's life, understanding God's engagement with us, he is tenting over us listening. When we plead, rather than simply lecturing our child, I have watched God consistently do mighty works of faith and belief in my child's life. But then what's more important than that? is when it is not because it's not a result of my manipulation, not a result of my guilting them, not a result of my persuasion, but it's a result of God engaging in their lives and changing and turning their hearts, then this is part of their budding walk with God. This is their faith journey. It becomes their testimony. 
when I just overlay demands and manipulation on their life, they're either choosing to be compliant or I'm just putting a callus on their heart. But when I begin to intercede and I begin to ask God to work and to move, then what happens is the response is not to a parent. The response is to God. He is at work. He is committed to your child. He can see around the corners of their lives, so he knows that what is coming will need this faith lesson that is happening right here. And I want to be very clear, this does not negate putting consequences or boundaries up. But there is a difference between putting a boundary up and manipulating your child to make decisions, choices, and have a belief system because they want to please you. We want them to be making decisions and having a belief system because they want to please God. And we are praying for that. And we are interceding for that. Yes, we put boundaries up. So we, there are certain behaviors that are not allowed and there are consequences. But the heart that needs to be impacted needs to be impacted by the Spirit of God. And we pray and intercede according to that. But you know, y'all, this, this means that when we walk this way, we are not trusting in ourselves. We have to choose to trust God. Is he trustworthy with your child? How long does it take? Sometimes when it takes a long time, we feel like God's not listening. So we have to go back to these passages of scripture and even apply them to our own thought life. Yes, God, I know you are a God who listens. And this is part of of my child's faith journey. So finally, when you are studying your child, which is that point number two, asking God for wisdom and perspective, and when you have your sheet of paper or whatever down, and God begins to unpack for you, you are specifically asking the Lord to show you the places where they are believing lies. Because yes, you are going to have conversations with them. You do want to, point number three, be consistent in your messaging and pivoting them to the truth of the gospel for them. So whatever they're believing, we want to see it with God's perspective so we understand what lies beneath the lie, the belief, the fear, the whatever lies underneath. And then we, but then, and we want to have conversation there, but then we are also praying. How do we pray? So how do you intercede for your child? So we say, yes, man, I want to do it. How do we do it? Is it complicated? No. When you are asking the Lord to show you the things that your child is really struggling with, not the symptoms that lie on top, what are they really struggling with? Then we are going to pray scripture that speaks exactly to that struggle. So if it is a struggle that they don't feel like anybody likes them unless they're a certain way, then we are praying scriptures that absolutely speak to them, beginning to understand they are God's workmanship. They are created uniquely by him. They are precious in his sight. They don't need man's value and worth. They have been deemed worthy and righteous by God when they choose him. Like we are praying pinpoint specific scriptures to the Lord, asking him to work in our child's life. 
If you want a starter guide for how to do this for your child, I actually have a free resource. It's a prayer guide. It'll get you started in understanding this, and you can um, reach out to me through Instagram or through the through my website or even through this podcast. I'll be happy to send that to you over email. It's a simple download. But we begin to pray scripture for our children because it is the word of God that is powerful in combating the enemy who is at work. Just like Christ did when he was being tempted, he did not use his words. He used the word of God. And that's what we need to use. So we study our child. We ask God to show us the lies, the beliefs, what they think, help unpack that part of their heart for us. We pursue them to understand their heart versus just symptoms only. And yes, there are consequences to symptoms. I don't want to negate that, but we're pursuing heart level transformation. So we want to get engaged there and have those conversations. And so then finally, we pray and intercede for them just on their thing. We pray for that and we don't stop and we don't let the enemy discourage us when he goes, it's not working. They're not changing. We don't let, he will come at you with that, but you do not need, you are going to need to turn to him and go, no, I know my God inclines his ear to me. He listens to my pleas. It is important work. It is holy work. The holiness of the immediate is contained inside of the prayer life you have for your child, whether they are two or 20. You are the one who has been invited to partner with God on high to shepherd them well. And in different seasons, the shepherding looks different, but prayer never changes. You can do this. You can do this. I know sometimes we feel like I can't. I don't know how. Reach out to me if you feel that way, but you can do this. The Spirit of God walks with you, and He will help you pray for your child. Thank you for coming to the table today. Uh, As always, I love to hear your thoughts and your questions, and um, please send them, keep sending them. um, And I just want you to know, that Jesus absolutely, completely loves you right where you are, Mama. And He delights in walking with you in this season and teaching you more about how to follow Him. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to BethanyKimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.